Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando. My guest today is a filmmaker, director, writer, Eric Cheney. Eric grew up in New Jersey, by the way, and studied screenplaying at SUNY Purchase, where he graduated from their conservatory program. Eric is an award-winning filmmaker whose work has screened throughout the United States, and he's worked as an assistant to Fred Zolo, not bad, huh? And as a freelance story analyst for New Line Cinema, Fine Line Features, Picture House, RHI Entertainment, the IFP Market, Tribeca, All Access, and Guy Walks Into a Bar. Love that one. Eric has written several feature-length screenplays, but Indigo Children, which we're going to talk about mostly today, is his debut feature film as a writer and director. So, Eric, Cheney, uh, welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. And... Wow, uh, you seem to have been extremely busy. This is uh, this is quite an undertaking. How do you feel about how it came out? I'm happy with how it came out. It was a long journey, a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about Vanished and Gone? Vanished and Gone is my small boutique company, production company, involved in literary development. It's kind of just an entity that I can be an artist out of. Uh-huh. I realized later on that Bruce Springsteen used them in a song, Streets of Philadelphia, next to each other, all three words. Mm-hmm. I, didn't realize, I didn't realize that when I named the company, but I love that yeah. particular song. I think it's absolutely gorgeous. So I thought that was cool because I'm from New Jersey like him, and actually I'm from the same town he was born in. Oh, wow. I'm a working class guy, so maybe there's some interesting parallels or some things circulating, I'm not sure, but um, yeah, that's my small company, the home office out of the East Harlem. So you, when you refer to yourself as a working class artist, what do you mean by that? Well, I think it's nearly impossible for 
a large portion of artists to do their work and survive the way on their work in New York in particular, which is where I've lived for over the past decade. Mm-hmm. And I found that despite work I would do on the side, I mean, the list you ran off with regards to my prior work just sounds very impressive, but it was in various capacities for, for each company. But uh, I still did find that I needed to find another way to make a living. Most of the work you mentioned was freelance. Uh-huh. So over the past, uh, the greater part of the past 10 years, I've been a union doorman uh, in Manhattan, mm. a couple of different buildings, several different buildings. Uh, usually full-time, sometimes beyond full-time, and this is uh, something I do on top of that. Wow, well, you've accomplished, it seems, um, as a matter of fact, I won't refer to it as your, sort of your part-time career because uh, there's such major accomplishments in it, even though I, I know that the artists, as you say, especially in uh, uh, areas like New York City, Los Angeles, what have you, and, and Europe too, very often the artist has to do something else to support himself or herself while they are trying to be creative and artistic and how, how does one handle that? Since you you obviously have experienced that, there must have been times when that that real job, if you will, was fatiguing. I mean, it's not just a physical thing, but you come home and you want those creative juices flowing and your head is still back at um, whatever it is you had to do. What have, Did you run into that a lot as an artist? Yes, I did. Uh... Any job, I guess, the nature of the work brings back can be fatiguing mentally, spiritually, physically, psychologically. Mm. There were times where I would wake up and just be completely ready to create, but yes. would have to report to duty, so to speak. Yes. So, things take longer to do because uh-huh. your survival needs to come first. That's one thing I can say yes. to that question. And there are some days, and I realized this more in the past few years than I did previously. For a while, I think I didn't burn the candle on both ends. You know, I'd be sleeping three hours a night, working eight, writing three, like, wow. and it just, you know, it wore on me, but that's what I was in my mid to late 20s. I'm a little bit older now, so some days you just need to rest, and creative work has to unfortunately wait, and You know, I, I understand. I was I was very fortunate in my career. I must admit, I, I didn't have to do that, at least when I was in New York. Um, things did dry up at one time early on, and I s- simply returned to Maryland, found the wealthiest actor I knew. Uh, I never forget it. And I, you know, he had a big house, a Porsche, and Mercedes. And I, I said, uh, I asked, what do you do? And he sold... Uh, real estate. He was the manager of a real estate firm. So for a year, I was his star real estate salesman and took all that money, went back to New York. So we all have to do what we have to do. So I certainly, I certainly can appreciate that. It, uh, and also sometimes the rest is so necessary because to be creative and imaginative, 
it needs to be rejuvenated uh, mentally as, as well as so many other ways. But okay, but back to, and I want to mention several times, back to Indigo Children. Indigo Children was written and directed by my guest today, Eric Cheney. It stars Isabel McNally and Robert Olson. It, oh, we should also mention it will be digitally released on Tuesday, August 23rd. And then after an exclusive release on iTunes, Indigo Children will also be available on Amazon. So we're, we're going to repeat that so everyone will know from time to time throughout the conversation. But Eric, how about the actual, you know, film in particular is about pictures and the pictures have to tell the story. And I've been watching Indigo Children, written and directed by Eric, and the the visuals are so magnificent, uh, Eric, I have to tell you. Talk to us about the making of the film, but particularly, you clearly have an understanding that film is about pictures. Talk to us. Well, I knew going out that I wanted the visual poetry as well as the narrative film. A lot of lines in the screenplay I ended up cutting out. I think you can't accomplish the visual aspect that you're speaking of on the page. Uh Sometimes you need more more lines Mm -hmm. on the page. Dialogue-wise, in a draft of the screenplay, a final draft of the screenplay before you shoot, in order to give people an understanding of what you're trying to do to give them an understanding of the character, more of an understanding of the environment. Mm-hmm. And, and I came from the city. I had been in New York City for quite some time before I went out to stay in this rural part of New Jersey for just largely free home New Jersey, but we shot all around New Jersey mm-hmm. for about four, four weeks. We had great weather. And there is a lot of picturesque beauty that yes. the areas we shot in had to offer. I'm a huge fan of wide open photography. So we used a lot of uh, wide shot mm-hmm. exteriors in the film. Knew I wanted to do that from day one, and we accomplished that. Yes, you did. Uh, and better to let the story move forward in a visual manner than letting the characters depict it true, mm-hmm. saying things I believe. So if I could cut a line of dialogue in post-production, I would lean towards doing so. I, there were times, actually, it's interesting that you mentioned the visual quality because there were locations that were not even in the shooting script mm-hmm. for the project. Mm-hmm. And as we were go- going around on location, I would see and know that I wanted to be part of the movie. So was on the spot, have the actors improvise and shoot a scene and let the environment be a character. Exactly. That's an important thing to mention. Letting the environment and the location speak and be a character in and of themselves. In the same way that an actor is, really, in yes. my opinion. Yes. And I think that it speaks just as loudly. It's all in the frame. Everything it, that is in the frame is telling you something if it, you're paying attention. Ex- exactly. I think a lot of people watch a movie and they only look at the characters' faces for some reason. 
could be wrong. I, I don't know. I think that may be the case, though. Uh, a lot of the times, the whole movie is full of just medium shots and close-ups of people talking. Yes. Um, or there isn't much care given to what surrounds them as far as the manner in which the movie is shot. But I went against that kind of completely, I think. And... Um, Hopefully succeeded to a degree. I'm glad that you think I did, and I thank you for watching the film. Well, I, I, it was my pleasure, Eric, and I have to say, in my opinion, you certainly did accomplish this. The, the story is told. I mean, we're going to get to the characters in a moment and what they're going through all in one summer. Uh, the last great summer movie, you know, of, of this sort of style, this coming of age, although this is more than a coming of age movie, I'm sure you'll agree. But I remember summer of 42 and uh, how moving that was. Well, this this takes that a lot further. And again, we will talk about that more, but just the making of the film first, both in your goal and that you accomplished your goal, because in the frame, as I always tell actors, the film is what's in the frame. All of it, everything tells the story. And you have, even from, uh, you know, the use of a train and, and the sound of the train and, and the analogy, uh, both spoken and unspoken, of what, what a train going by can mean. But there's something about that sound of a train coming from the distance and passing through. And from that very opening shot, and you just continue with that. You, you show us so much. And the colors, the title, of course, is Indigo Children. There's some obvious literal meanings of indigo that are shown in the movie. But can you share with us, without giving too much, what made you choose that adjective to describe these two characters? Well, that's an interesting question. And I'll begin actually by stating that one of the reasons why I thought that was a good title for the movie was simply the way that those two words come together, the way they feel. They have this sort of floating aspect to them. Ah. And I think, I think the movie has the same floating aspect. I think the movie kind of drips and floats, and it's a mood piece. It does so intentionally. It's a narrative film, but it's also yes. driven driven more largely by mood and tone, I think, and that is intentional. And I think that title matches the tone. That's the first thing I'll say. Excellent. And I think the tone is often overlooked in a movie, but I think the tone is very, very important and very underrated. I think it's the heart of of the film, mm -hmm. in my opinion, and every film should have its own distinct tone, its own distinct style, in my opinion. The title is also something that the main character in this dual protagonist movie, so to be precise, one of the main characters, Christina, she brings up the fact that she thinks she is an indigo child while this new age phenomenon is, is going on. Mm -hmm. And we come to learn something in a very subtle manner that hopefully you'll see if you watch the film about 
her perspective and her knowledge with regards to Indigo Children by the end of the movie that I think is a bit of a subtle twist in a way. Yes. So I don't want to give away too much, but I want to say that much. I, I, I understand. Uh, of course, I have the advantage of having seen the movie, so we won't give away. There, there is one line, though, uh, if, if you feel like answering this, that I also found very moving that includes the word indigo. She says something about what is the ultimate... How can I put this in case you uh, give you as much room or uh, that you need to, to not give away too much? But I found it such a... Um, uh, in, a, in, a, in a movie full of tone and mood and, and pictures, this line hit me that one day Indigo is going to have a certain victory. I, I hope, uh, hope I'm not being too vague. You don't, you can't recognize the line, but it's a moment in the movie that seems to happen early enough to indicate something we should be looking for. Has everything else you've said today has been intentional? Was that intentional as well? Yes, she speaks about how she, she thinks they're in trouble currently, mm-hmm. but she believes that one day they'll cover the earth like air and water. Yes. Okay. All right, then. Well, excellent. Uh, all right. Well, I just wanted you to know I got that, and it was like, oh... I mean, it really, it was so subtle. It was like a, a matter-of-fact statement on her part. Oh, yeah, she whispers it. It's really wonderful the way she delivered that line, in oh, my opinion. Absolutely. And, 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 and because of that, it caught me. And I went, wait a minute. That's something we need to know. That's something we need to watch. She's telling us something here. And I always love when I can go back or... or I, I well go back to the title, but I love when something within the script, something within the film, tells me why the title is the title. That makes sense. And when she said that, I went, "Oh man, there's so much here." But I love your answer about the title. That the word itself has a sound and is in syllables that it has its own message. It, well, anyway, it's a beautiful movie. It is a, a movie with a tone, with a mood, with a tempo that is calming, but at the same time, you know, something is going to happen, and I don't know if we're ready. Is that fair, Eric? I hope so. <laughs> well, you did. At least I I, I got it. So. You, know better, you, know, you know better than me. We can make I got
sat with it for quite some time. Entire story elements from the screenplay were were removed. The story was recrafted to a degree, mm-hmm. and I think for the better. I, I'm happier with the outcome of the movie. I believe I am than the last draft of the screenplay. If the two are even comparable, they're mm. different entities, so it's hard to say. Gotcha. All right, we're going to take a short break. Uh, We're talking today with uh, the writer and director of Indigo Children, Eric Cheney, and we want to remind you that uh, Indigo Children will be digitally released on Tuesday, August 23rd, and will be available on iTunes. And after an exclusive release on iTunes, Indigo Children will also be available on Amazon. Again, we're speaking to the writer-director of Indigo Children. Eric Cheney, stay with us. We'll be right back. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. When the setting of a film becomes a character itself, a dimension is added that can become critical to the film. Lars and the Real Girl is the story of a troubled man who falls in love with an anatomically correct, life-size doll. In less discriminating hands, this film could have been tawdry, but here it takes its place among the indie classics. Ryan Gosling plays Lars, a troubled young man who retreats more and more into himself, shunning any human contact. Innately, we know that when love enters his life, it is part of a healing journey, no matter that his love is a mail-order latex doll. Upon its arrival, he immediately begins to open up with a shy smile. At first, everyone else is disturbed, but this is where the town comes in. Surely this tale is an unbelievable conception, but not in this town. Quoting the film, this is a town where when tragedy strikes, they come over and sit. Just sit. They are there for each other, creating a cocoon where one can take the time needed to work through problems surrounded by acceptance, warmth, and humor. Lars and the Real Girl is an unbelievable premise that works so surprisingly well. You'll wish that you lived here. Independent film, where the real stories are told. You can find us on the web at www.indiefilmminute.com. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. Again, today my guest is the writer and director of Indigo Children. His name is Eric Cheney. We want to mention the stars of Indigo Children once more, Isabel McNally and Robert Olson. This duet, how did you how did you find Isabel and Robert? I mean, it's some amazing casting. You've brought this down to a boy and a girl who haven't known each other very long, and yet in this small town, new to the girl but not not the boy things happen in their lives that sort of bring them together. I'll let you decide how much of that you want to talk about. But first of all, where did you find them? They so, I think, complement the tone you were after. But uh, tell us about that whole casting process and where you found them and, and then what happens to them as their characters in that one summer. We spoke just a little bit, and I was writing a movie, knew I had 
some money and wanted to make the movie. And he knew within a few minutes after I finished talking to her that she probably would be a great choice for that character. Mm-hmm. And we weren't in touch much after that. And then got back in touch when I was ready to make the movie. And she was kind enough to read the screenplay. And she said that uh, she would like to play the character, that she liked the character. Mm-hmm. And she she came in and auditioned, and I mean, it was pretty, I could tell that it was perfect from the get-go mm. for that particular character, which had always driven the movie and told the movie for me. Yes. Even on the, on the page I'm talking about before, I even knew who I was going to cast or, or met her in my time in New York mm-hmm. and, and she came out and she worked very hard and, and she did a, a great job portraying that character and yes. as far as Robert goes I I met Bobby through a response to an ad that was posted on backstage I believe mm-hmm. he, he came in and he initially auditioned with the woman I casted as his mother, and uh-huh. they, they did a very good job seeing that they portrayed. And it was hard to fill that role because I felt like everyone I was putting alongside of her wasn't quite a match. Uh-huh. And he became the closest to matching with her and. He gave an impressive audition. He was at NYU studying acting at the time. Mm, mm-hmm. so I, knew, I knew he was serious about the craft. Sure. And he read the entire screenplay. Initially, he had just read it aside when he came in, as opposed to Isabel, who we had sent the mm-hmm. entire thing to, so I was pretty sure I thought I wanted her to do it. Yes. And then after he read it, he said, yeah, he was, he was excited about doing it. And he also came on board, and then, you know, things kept on moving from then. You know, and I and I think, I'm, in case I've given the impression there are only two characters in the movie, there is the mother, the best friend, you know. Tell us a little about them, the characters they play, how they impact the story, that wonderful subtext that they bring to the, I think, to the film when there is uh, uh, so much focus, uh, understandably, on these two young people who've met for the first time who are going through some pretty serious, heavy things that happen around them in this one summer. How does the mother and the sidekick, uh, how do they impact on the story and on the characters? Well, I think everyone seems to be going through something. uh... Yes particular human magnitude in this little town, but we focus more on the two of them. The mother has one of my favorite moments in the movie towards the end of the film, and I think that she did a wonderful job yes. in bringing that, that scene to light. And the character Armand, played by Arturo Castro, who went on to do a lot of wonderful projects. Mm-hmm. He, 
I think does a great job playing a supporting role here. And Christine Gonlin also went on to do a lot of great work, and I thought she did a great job playing a supporting character. Mm-hmm. Kind of creates a multiple love triangles. Um, she plays a less stereotypical girl, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Very forward. And I thought she gave a some of the uh, you know the big issues that they have to deal with in this one summer in this small town and you haven't mentioned them specifically so I'm assuming we're not we're avoiding any spoiler alerts and I'm okay with that so let's let's shift just a little I often speak with first-time filmmakers or uh, independent filmmakers and and most people in the public don't realize that after you do this wonderful thing, if you want it to be seen by anybody, there are a whole host of people uh, that you need to reach out to with different job titles that get your movie seen. So how are you going to distribute the film? What's your plan? Where are you on that particular leg of the artistic mission? <laughs> the, the distribution process has been in the works, and it was never something that was particularly of interest to me. Mm-hmm. But I suppose this is a word to the wise for filmmakers who do make a movie on a comparable budget and want to bring it out into the world effectively. They should put, and I wish that I put as much energy initially into putting together the team to do this as I did in putting together the creative team, which is my um, area of interest. Sure. But when you finish these things, you're so, so tired, you know, and I was struggling with many things in life aside from the post-production of this movie. Mm-hmm. So I believe that I'm, I'm happy with the fact that the movie actually was seen in a lot of movies go to larger festivals, don't play in a theater at all, mm-hmm. and um, don't get seen for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough for this to be theatrical re- released for a week at Quad Cinema in New York. Mm. And so that was cool. Yes. It played at some film festivals, and I'm grateful for that worked with the distribution company for a little while mm-hmm. and I made some mistakes, some mistakes were made and presentation wise of the film and if I could go back in time I'd change but you know, you have to move forward Exactly. I tried to learn from the mistakes and now with Spanish thing gone we're 
self-distributing the movie and I'm focusing more on the smaller team now as the nature of the digital release Sure. and something smaller that I can control just iTunes and then after the exclusive on iTunes on Tuesday, August 23rd mm-hmm. the follow-up on Amazon on October 4th where it's slated now working with Wayman side and dot dot or PR yes and I think he's done a fine job of introducing me to people like you and trying to make more people aware of the film have my voice be heard some more mm-hmm. and it's a bit of a treacherous landscape for an artist that hasn't it's a business school or has a great knowledge of the business side of the field to yeah. navigate through. Things move slowly with the movie, but I would have probably even taken my time more if, if I had to go back in time to do it again. It was tough. It was hard. Uh-huh. That part, that part, the distribution, yes. is every bit difficult as the creative process. Absolutely. Right. And if you don't put the same amount of energy in, regardless of the quality of the movie, my opinion that you're not going to get the the results that you you might deserve. It, it's true. Even though it's the business part of Joe Business, it too takes creative thinking. <laughs> As oh, I'm showing you. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and um, Wayman, who introduced me to you, he's impressed me with his creative. Oh yes, he's good. So far, without question. Yes. So, well, we know it's going to be, you know, here's another thing. We say digitally released. The film doesn't have one definite destination anymore. It has many, many possible destinations, many, many platforms. Uh, iTunes, of course, uh, being one of them. And But as you look at that, how is that from my generation to your generation and yours to mine that is such a uh, colossal development and i i mean i love learning new things and i think that's always a healthy thing for an artist you have to love learning new things and trying them and seeing how you can implement them into your work now i'm fascinated by it and i learn this stuff and i'm certainly no 21st century computer genius by any means but you tell us because you you grew up in that world personally individually socially and certainly artistically do you just take it as the normal thing as kids take uh, smartphones <laughs> texting well i think that i probably size with the ancients a little more than most people of my generation, which uh-huh. is why I went for the theatrical release. Yes. A lot of a lot of people probably would have just went right to digital with the film of this scale. Uh-huh. But I think I mean I'm old school in the sense that I still think you know, even if it is a smaller independent film that people should, you know, come together on a big screen, yes. have it be presented on a big screen properly, ideally. As far as the, the digital downloads, people watching it at home on their televisions that are pretty much miniature movie theaters now anyway a lot of the time. Yes. Um, I think it's fine. I think 
it's nothing that you can fight with. You just have to accept it. And the largest way that people watch movies now, you can potentially reach out to the entire world. Yes. Through streaming on the internet. As yes. opposed to if you have, uh, you know, putting a movie in theaters across the world, I mean, this is a massive, impossible, almost expensive yes. undertaking as opposed to making it digitally available to everyone is relatively much more affordable, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it has its pluses for the uh, independent filmmaker, but, you know, larger studios are doing the same thing as well. So it's not like the competition completely disappears exactly. or dissipates. If you even view them as competition, you know, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily do. It's just they're making movies in a different way. Uh huh. You know, I'm I'm glad you answered that way. Forgive me for interrupting, Eric, but I just wanted to make the point that when I saw your film, I thought, boy, and and I mean this as a compliment. I said. This is really old school. This is great stuff. This is like, I don't know if you ever saw The Big Country. Gregory Peck, Gene Simmons, everybody was in it. Uh, the Rifleman, I can't. Chuck Connors, Burl Ives. But the the shots, the visuals, were a massively magnificent contribution to the film. And that is exactly the impression I had in watching Indigo Children. And I remember thinking, maybe he's older than I think he is. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm glad to hear you say that because, well, your film just, that's one of the many very positive impressions it made upon me. So anyway, that's my two cents. Take us out. We need to go soon, but take us out, Eric. Uh, we want to say yes again. Uh, digitally released on Tuesday, August 23rd. Indigo Children, starring Isabel McNally and Robert Olson, written and directed by Eric Cheney. After an exclusive release on iTunes, the film Indigo Children will also be available on Amazon. But tell us now in a few words, if you can, Eric, what is it you want us to to take home from Indigo Children? I just want people to watch it and be patient, open their hearts and take home whatever whatever comes in. People have taken different things from it, things yes. I didn't even expect. Yes. And then people have taken things back from it, given the feedback similar to what you have. And I think this is a of people that have understood it on the level that I did. Mm-hmm. So I hope it makes people stay for a little while, remember young love, watch it in the summer and on the East Coast anyway and say kiss the summer goodbye and it's an East Coast movie yes largely in New, Jer- New Jersey almost entirely yes in uh, Freehold, New Jersey so I suppose that's what I would say I don't particularly like to give a viewer an expectation of what they're going to walk away with gotcha but, but I do urge people to go in with an open mind with a little bit more patience than they would for a traditional American movie based mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. And even more important than an open mind and open heart. Yes. can take what they will from it. I thank them for, for watching it if they do go out and check out the movie download it on iTunes. Okay. 
why don't you give us a website where we can find out a little more, a little teaser or something? Is it simply indigochildrenfilm.com? Yeah, you can find more information about the project at www.indigochildrenfilm.com backslash about. Okay. And there will be more information coming along. You can go to www.facebook.com Indigo Children Film and find it there and follow it there. Excellent. So those are the two main places to gather information now. Excellent. Exactly. Okay, we're going to run, but Eric Cheney, thank you so very much, writer, director of Indigo Children, for being on the Reasonable Voices talk radio show today. We wish you and your films all the very best. Thank you so much for being on the show, Eric. My pleasure. Bye now. Okay, goodbye. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. In Spike Jones, Her, we saw the Joaquin Phoenix character fall in love with Samantha, an artificial intelligence being who exists within his computer. Now, Alex Garland's thriller, Ex Machina, takes this premise further by adding to artificial intelligence both functional sensuality and physical beauty, a dangerous combination. Computer programmer Caleb has won the exciting reward of participating on a new top-secret project with his brilliant and secretive boss, Nathan, a man of limitless wealth and intelligence. He soon finds himself trapped in an experimental test to discover whether Nathan's artificial human is a real, dynamic-thinking being whose thoughts can evolve toward a purpose. In fact, Nathan's creation, Eva, is alluring in every way, especially to Caleb as she has apparently been specifically designed to fulfill his most secret desires. As we soon learn, this is indeed dangerous stuff as Caleb falls hard, unwilling to bear the isolating restrictions imposed upon his love. Eva has passed the test. Nathan has created a being, human or machine or both. She is beautiful, alluring, evolving, and strategically manipulative enough to entice the bait for whom she was designed. What, oh what, could go wrong? Ex Machina. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the Reasonable Voices heard round the world. Who decides what we know? There is no singular grip on the daily choices of what is deemed newsworthy, but despite claims of fair and balanced since October 7, 1996, American media scooping and spreading of dirty politics manure has never soiled without prejudice. Even before the infamous presidential campaign of Andrew Jackson versus John Quincy Adams, there were newspaper duels between our second president and the newspaper proxies of our third. One major change, however. Those who decide what is seen and heard by we the people have evolved from local newspaper publishers to Wall Street titans and their moneyed and not-so-silent partners framing both content and presentation. Who do you think chooses what we see, hear, and read? 
do you believe Dick Morris, Megan Kelly, and Rush Limbaugh answers would differ from Ariana Huffington, Rob Call, Joy Reid, Chuck Todd, and Chris Matthews? Have you not noticed the universal deaf ear media pros employ when anyone from POTUS wannabe to a multi-million dollar coincidence explanation challenging the 26 reality show of If It Bleeds ratings it's headlined with the efficiency of a Rachel Maddow research team? In my 40-plus year career in media and arts, I've worn several hats. But as a director, talk show host, and radio news producer, I, like most, attempt to inhale the hourly avalanche of information from a millennium of sources, then choose not only what is aired, posted, shared, and published, but guests, questions, even use of adjectives, adverbs, everything from pre- to post-production. I host two radio talk shows, one with a conservative audience and the other with liberal listeners, believing not only in the necessity for, but the pragmatism of United We Stand. And to the degree we talk, listen, comment, and relate to differing POVs, we survive and thrive as an informed, multicultural society. Nonetheless, whether media pro or political junkie, what we read, watch, and write is testimony to our upbringing, values, education, experience, and even geography determining our politics. Most Americans probably neither answer polls nor indulge in radical extremism. Our collective communication comfort zone probably hovers within 20% of either left of center, championing the equality and justice for all, including women and minorities, and right of center, advocating less leveling of the playing field through government regulations thus deserting the center for moderates and independents if they so choose. And there's the rub. Arguably, our national derision and conflicts resonate from the degree we immortalize the lie we and media professionals tell ourselves, that somehow it is solely the topic subject, the politics of weather, the shame of corporations, institutions, and individuals profiting from mass incarceration, the denial of full citizenship rights for those who have paid their debt to society, or the shooting of people who look like the Reverend Dr. William Barber and sound like Kizir Khan. That is what dictates our 24-7 news cycle, and not an addicted audience craving another hit, nor performers chasing the redundant ambulance for a ratings high. We deserve better, to do better, and vote to be better than those who, since the New Deal, have been festering to shatter their shadowy shield and, like a mushroom cloud, rupture unity to extinguish the promise of peace and light of human decency. From Nixon and Reagan to CIA GHW Bush locked and loaded by Bush Cheney open carry militias perpetuated, unaborted, in cokeheads Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan is the birther of narcissistic, misogynistic, racist products worshipped on the tea-stained altar of projecting one's sins onto those far less treasonous. Reason is our best defense against clichés, political ads, media hype, and mob rule making choices for us. Our power remains. Only we get to choose what we think and how our vote 
reflects who we choose to be. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.